welcome to New Vida Radio, a podcast about art, artists, and soup. Today's episode will be in English, as we have an international guest with us. Uh, New Vida is an exhibition space for contemporary art in Harlem, and we also rent out studios to artists and small creative businesses. Despite the fact that we cannot exhibit anything in our space at the moment, uh, we would still like to continue to talk about art. This is why we are making a podcast together with artists from uh, Niva Vida's network, because in these times, we would still like to continue to showcase the projects we work on and the people we collaborate with. So my name is Lisbeth. I'm the curator at Niva Vida. And this week's guest is Verena Hahn. Hello, Verena. Hi, Lisbeth. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you too. Uh, Verena is an artist and designer, and she was going to join us on a trip to Stockholm uh, to go to supermarket art fair. Unfortunately, that has been postponed. Um, but for a few years now, New Vida has been going to supermarket art fair, uh, which is a fair specifically aimed at small artist-run spaces and designed to showcase artists and interesting initiatives from all over the world. Um, so as I said, the fair has been postponed due to the current situation. But we feel like the subject of the work um, that Verena was going to present here, which we will talk a lot about later, uh, we think it's very relevant, especially today. Um, so that's why we've invited you to come on our podcast. So first of all, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice? Sure. Uh, so thanks uh, first for inviting me. I'm really happy that I can talk about this film here also because it's been updated in a weird way. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, about myself, I'm, uh, I was born in Germany, in the west of Germany, quite close to the Dutch border also in a little town called Kempen. And I graduated last summer in graphic design uh, at the Royal Academy of uh, Arts in Den Haag. And yeah, for um, I was thinking about like what my practice is. I've been doing many different things. So I think I'm still in the process of building something like a practice. But something that has been reappearing in my work is uh, interviewing and um, something that I've been drawn to content wise in the last year is uh, let's say in the context of like an ongoing polarization in our society uh, I'm really interested in like real life physical encounters between different positions um, like in as in contrast to online uh, encounters that we have in comment sections in YouTube or uh, under news uh, in news comment sections And yeah, I think I'm, I'm interested in like the, let's say like the possibilities or problems that you face when you're talking to someone who has a different uh, viewpoint than yourself. Um, also like the limits of empathy. Um, and yeah, I've been like in doing a film uh, where I've been working with this problem or with this uh, challenge of finding maybe a practice that Uh, could be a practice of listening or following other viewpoints or other, um, what's the English word? In German, we would say Lebensentwürfe, something like a, your concept, concept of life. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the film you're talking about is, uh, we'll have time for that later, uh, which is the film you are going to present in Stockholm. Um, and basically, in the film, you follow uh, four individuals uh, who are all preppers, so people who are preparing for some kind of uh, catastrophe or crisis. Uh, so could you talk a bit more about this project and what led you to this research topic? Sure. So it's actually three preppers that I'm following, but oh, sorry, <laughs> no, but it's uh, totally understandable because most of the time you actually don't see them, and uh, some of their voices are also quite similar, so it's easy to to mess it up a bit. But um, yeah, I've started to work on this project already a year ago. It was also already part of my graduation project, and I think in the beginning I was mainly fascinated by by an image of preppers that you find portrayed uh, in most media. I think there's different stereotypes of a prepper that were quite interesting for me in the beginning. So you have, for example, the crazy prepper who hoards stuff and um, prepares for an apocalypse. There's also a certain language like apocalypse or day X, and this is like a stereotype that you often find in American TV series. I think there's also a very specific American approach to prepping, which uh, is really pretty much about also protecting yourself, um, protecting your the things you own. So that was something that I thought was quite interesting, um, even though due, through the process, I kind of understood that this is also a very heavy stereotype and then at the same time in Germany there was some kind of overlapping between certain right-wing networks uh, and prepper networks um, there was a right-wing prepper network which is called uh, Nordkreuz Prepper and they probably are it's still investigated, but it seems that they made a list of people that they wanted to kill and they stored weapons. And so that was another um, topic that I thought was quite interesting. Um, but during like the last half year, when I actually started working on the film, I kind of got away from these two stereotypes because I um, also noticed like a quite a big frustration amongst preppers that there's always these stereotypes coming up and that the whole practice is basically put under um, suspicion. And of course, the prepping community is extremely diverse. <laughs> there's a lot of different motivations or practices. So I kind of got away from these uh, two images and I was more interested in, yeah, what what prepping i think that prepping is is a response to something that is going on in our times and i wanted i rather was interested in finding out how prepping what kind of agency prepping has or um how we can if we listen to a prepper who's describing their practice um well, how can we find out about their world experience and something that I was a bit influenced by um, is, I don't know if it's the right English uh, uh, name for it, but in German it's called Dokumentarische Methode, so the documentary method. <laughs> uh, it's a method 
coming from social sciences where you talk to a person to, um, that is uh, yeah giving an account of their of their situation and you're actually interested in how how the person is talking about this topic um, how it's giving agency of certain bigger yeah that was definitely a method that I was interested in and I was taking into my in my own research process and yeah then I've been starting to look for people that I wanted to meet uh, I found them um, online like all of them are youtubers which is uh, quite a good um, situation because if you're on YouTube and you're willing to show your face there, then you're also already quite comfortable to talk publicly. Um, so that was quite a good uh, base to work with them. Yeah, and I think, uh, of course, something that is instantly noticeable is that all the um, characters in your film, they're all men. Uh to what extent was this like a conscious gender-based decision? Did it happen by accident or uh, could you only find men? How did this happen? Uh, no, it wasn't It wasn't by accident. Even though I have to say, when I was looking for protagonists, um, like you have to say most of the people who are having a, a YouTube channel uh, who are preppers, that's mostly men. There's, of course, also female preppers. But I had the feeling that the male preppers, that for them, prepping had more of an existential uh, relevance to them. So with a lot of female preppers, I had the feeling that they just like, for instance, to go to a forest and build a shed. But I found way more male preppers that also reflected ongoing political situations. So that was for me uh, more interesting. And then... Yeah, the this the gender question I think is very interesting. And actually, during my graduation, I um, I had an interview with someone who I would call like a fundamental Christian. Uh, I had an interview with him, and he put the video online on his YouTube channel, which was quite a big thing. And in the comment section, there were a lot of uh, people commenting on this video and saying that I was something like a a naive schoolgirl, and <clears throat> and he's something like he has the patience to explain me how it's all going, and I was really fascinated by this um, this uh, description of myself that I am like a naive young girl, and I decided to work with this um, because I think it's definitely a part of my personality. Um, I also know like what I'm looking like, like I'm rather small. Uh, and this is something that give, gave me a certain kind of access because I'm not really perceived as threatening. I think I come across quite harmless. So this makes it for me way easier to uh, get close to a person and perhaps also easier for them to open up. I mean, I don't know if that's really the case, but I can imagine that if I would be a, a man, it would have maybe been more difficult for a male filmmaker to, to get as close. And um, I was also really interested in this encounter of two personalities, like me as a young woman and them as men, because I think um, the situation between us also or the way that we communicate also tells quite a lot about how they perceive themselves. So 
and there were some classical mansplaining moments but but not all the time but i wasn't i wasn't interested in acting like a neutral observer i was really more interested in um finding out how they would react specifically to me because i think that's quite telling and on the other side you also see me um most of the part in the film so i'm also like a like a character that can be also judged by the by the audience like you um you can compare me with these preppers and in the end you can decide whom of us is the most competent one or i don't know um uh yeah so it was it was definitely gender conscious yeah i think it's uh it's interesting like you mentioned in the film we mostly see you because uh you made a decision to uh let them film you uh which is an interesting perspective i think on documentary making um and it gives a yeah i don't know a nice twist to um listening to these stories and looking at also the objects that you're holding, for example, um, because you're quite a lot like in their houses, in their environment, but we mostly see you. Uh, how was this for you to be sort of the subject of your own documentary, more or less? <laughs> um, yeah, it was, uh, it was funny, of course, like it was something like uh, I didn't plan to do this from the beginning on. Uh, it actually came when, I was in contact with another prepper whom I wanted to interview and he was very, he didn't trust me. I was only having phone calls with him and he was saying he wants to join. He doesn't want to join it. Like it, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was obvious that he wasn't really into it. At some point he said that he would do it. And then he said, but he doesn't want to be seen on film. And then I first thought like, great, that's a great condition for making a video portrait of you. But then I thought it would actually be quite interesting if they would film me, because I think in prepping, uh, prepping is pretty much about um, imagining like a scenario of emergency. And in this scenario, there's certain rules that are valid that maybe aren't valid in normal state or people are um, uh, supposed to to act in a specific way so i thought seeing how they would give me directions would maybe um, give another interesting uh, impression of how they experience um, of how they uh, want people to behave in the situation um, and yeah, for me, <laughs> it was funny to see myself on the film because something that I was really surprised of was that I'm smiling quite a lot, uh, even in moments where I, where my emotions weren't even that joyful, but it kind of explained some reactions or some dynamics between us because I'm always having a positive expression on my face and I'm smiling, um, something that I didn't really intend. And it maybe shows why they react in a certain way. And uh, yeah, it was that was quite a surprise. Yeah, I noticed that too when I was watching it. Um, it's interesting. And I think also um, because we see you, for example, in, uh, in their houses or in their places, um, and we see, you know, the shelves stocked with whatever supplies are necessary. And of course, right now uh, with the current 
uh, pandemic that we're in and the situation that we're in, I think it makes us look at this topic also in a different way because before we might have, you know, looked at people who were stockpiling toilet paper and canned foods uh, as maybe a bit strange or uh, you don't know. Um, but now, I mean, it's come all too close to us. Do you think that's changed also how you view the work or how you view these men? Uh, I think I haven't changed my view on them. Um, I'm also, I'm I'm also part of a, uh, of a how's it called like a server, like an online server, some, something like a chat room uh, on Discord, uh, where there's a lot of German preppers, and I've been observing a bit like how they reflect on the crisis now, <clears throat> and I was surprised because. Um, not like the behavior, like still many of them said like that they were doing uh, big groceries. So it seemed that not all of them were as prepared, <laughs> but uh, there were also some preppers who said like, yeah, we have to share our supplies now. So uh, there's quite a diverse reaction there again. But I think what shows in this crisis now is that people deal in many different ways with this crisis. Some people are doing um, massive shopping. Other people have the spontaneous creativity to, to build networks. And if the feeling this ability or the way that you deal with the crisis is in no way connected with whether you have a, whether you are a prepper or not. Um, and I was just thinking that maybe prepping could maybe we maybe we could like critique prepping as a practice and try to make it better um make something like a manifest of like a, the modern prepper because i think like the the basic idea of prepping that we that we anticipate a crisis is maybe not the the worst mindset that we could have right now like realizing that life is fragile or that we won't be living in prosperity for the whole time, I think is quite a good starting point. Um, but prepping, I think prepping as a practice has the weakness that it's much about um, defending yourself, defending your own properties, and not so much about building networks or um, making sure that vulnerable vulnerable people are protected that cannot protect themselves um, so I think we could work work with prepping <laughs> uh, but also reflect some uh, some terms that always come up for example like right now in this situation um, which is called like an emergency situation um, the question is also, does everyone have the same basic needs as, as other people? Um, like, is there a set of basic needs that we all can agree on? Or do maybe different people have different needs? Because, you know, right now you're only allowed to do the things which are basic. Um, so, yeah, I think we <laughs> we should try to make prepping, uh, make prepping uh, better and uh, for everyone, for a community, instead of just single people uh, protecting their food. Yeah, so it's it's more about sort of reevaluating uh, what you need in life and um, the the fragility of life, more or less, and um, 
yeah the way we know it yeah i think like this idea which is there in prepping like if we would i mean we would have to kind of negotiate what prepping is really about and i'm sure that a lot of preppers have other ideas about that than me but i think one basic idea of prepping is yeah the vulnerability of life and if we can agree on this basic uh idea it's it's not that far away from ideas that fridays for future have or extinction rebellion and maybe we should try to to, <laughs> to do some kind of fusing even though in my film you can also see that these preppers are not so enthusiastic about fridays for future <laughs> right and you personally how are you experiencing uh, the situation because you're in germany right now um Yeah, I'm. Or, or how does it affect you as like as a person, as an artist? Yeah, I'm right now in, in Germany uh, at the place of my parents, where it's uh, quite comfortable to stay because there's a garden. Um, right now, for the moment, uh, not so much change because I'm in the post-production process and uh, I have to do this from home anyway. And I also have another job, uh, which I'm doing from from home. Um, but I think if these things are over. I'm wondering if the jobs that I would apply on still exist because obviously in the cultural fields there will be some 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 big cuts and I wonder if I'm still will be able to find a job but I think like honestly speaking I'm in a really privileged situation because my parents uh could pay for me if I wouldn't find a job and the situation that I am in is really different from situations that many of my close friends are in friends who have a child uh, or friends who are musicians so i mean it's pretty obvious that this crisis is hitting us in many different ways and i am definitely on the on the lucky end uh in comparison to many very close friends of mine yes i mean uh, i think we're all hoping that uh it won't last too long and uh well hoping to uh, make some new plans for the future. And we'll, I guess we'll just have to wait and see uh, what that future holds. And uh, I guess, uh, well, we can move on to our final question, which is, well, in these times, uh, one thing we all turn to for comfort is uh, food. I know I do. Um, <laughs> but at Nieuwe Vida, uh, soup is, of course, an important part of our daily lifestyle. Um, I think you may have joined our soup gatherings once or twice. Um, so I think an important final question for us is, uh, what is your favorite soup? Oh, I have many different favorite soups. Like one of my favorite soups is a potato soup that my father often does, but I don't have the recipe. But another uh, really good recipe is one with chickpea, like a tomato tomato chickpea soup. It's really simple. <laughs> Should I explain how to do it? Yes, please. <laughs> so you um, you put... Uh, I think six spoons of olive oil in a big pot. Uh, you put um, a couple of garlic. Uh, what's the word? You put garlic in there. Uh, you let it fry until it's brown. Then you take the garlic out. So the oil is only has the, the, the taste of the garlic. Then you put um, dried rosemary in uh, and let it fry in there for a while. Um And then you put uh, canned tomatoes in. You can also use fresh ones if it's summer and the, the fresh tomatoes have the right taste. And the nice thing then is that this oil has uh, this very uh, full 
taste of uh, rosemary and garlic. And uh, then you let it boil for a while. And then you put fresh chickpeas in. You have to prepare them, of course, before. And I think that's pretty much it. So it's really simple, but it's so good because of this uh, very tasty oil bases that is in there. I can recommend it. You can write me a mail if you want to have the right recipe. <laughs> cool. It sounds great. I'll uh, I'll definitely give it a go uh, sometimes. <laughs> Well, thanks very much for uh, talking to us about your uh, about your work uh, and about soup. Yeah, wow, that was that was quick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are there any places where uh, where we can find your work somewhere online? Well, you know, a website is under construction for a very long time, but I'm I'm working on it. And besides, I have an Instagram account where you can find some of my work, and also I will definitely post some material there on on the film but a website isn't there yet but i'm working on it cool yes we'll put a link to your uh instagram and also uh to the film of course when it's online uh in our show notes so people can find it um if they want to check it out great well thanks very much for talking to us And for the last part of this episode, we're quickly going to switch back to Dutch um, as we're going to listen to another short story uh, from the series uh, Rare Tijden in Absurdistan by Marius Bruin. So here it is. Rare Tijden in Absurdistan, deel 3. Er was eens een man en die heette Fred. Op een dag ging zijn krukje kapot. Toen moest hij de straat op. Hij liep het huis uit en ging naar de winkel om houtlijm te kopen om zijn krukje te lijmen. Ik ga naar de winkel om houtlijm te kopen om mijn krukje te lijmen. Toen Fred langs een huis in aanbouw liep, viel van boven een baksteen naar beneden en trof Fred op zijn hoofd. Auw! Fred viel, maar sprong direct weer overeind en voelde aan zijn hoofd. Op het hoofd van Fred kwam een enorme bult op. Auw, wat een bult. En dat terwijl ik, Fred, burger van Haarlem, het huis uitging naar de winkel om... 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 Wat is dat nou? Ik ben vergeten waarom ik naar de winkel ging. Op dat moment viel er een tweede baksteen naar beneden en trof Fred weer op zijn hoofd. Auw! Oei! Weer een bult! Wat een verhaal! Ik, Fred, burger van Haarlem, ging mijn huis uit en ging naar... Ik ging naar... Waar ging ik heen? Ik ben vergeten waar ik heen ging. Nu viel er van boven een derde baksteen op Fred. En op het hoofd van Fred verscheen een derde bult. Nou zeg, ik, Fred, burger van Haarlem, ging mijn... mijn... mijn kelder uit? Nee, mijn schoenen uit? Waar ging ik uit? Auw! Een vierde bult. Ah! Ho! Ho, wacht. Uh, Wie ben ik eigenlijk? Ik zal toch niet vergeten zijn hoe ik heet? Wat een toestand. Wie ben ik dan? Johan uit Den Haag? Nee. Ab uit Deventer? Nee. Wie ben ik? 
Maar op dat moment viel er een vijfde baksteen, die Fred zo hard op zijn achterhoofd trof... Dat Fred voor eens en voor al alles op de wereld vergat en onder het roepen van oh ho ho door de straat rende. Alsjeblieft, als u iemand op straat tegenkomt die vijf bulten op zijn hoofd heeft, vertel hem dan dat hij Fred heet, burger van Haarlem is en dat hij houtlijm moet kopen om een kapot krukje te repareren. Dit was het dan weer voor deze aflevering van Nieuwe Vide Radio. Houd onze website nieuwevide.nl en social media in de gaten voor nieuwe afleveringen die elke twee weken zullen verschijnen. Deze podcast wordt gemaakt door het team van Nieuwe Vide. De presentatie is in handen van Lisbeth Vizé, curator, en Itje Veenstra, projectcoördinator. Sitske Hoorda is medewerker communicatie en editor van de podcast. Saskia Burghaaf is medewerker communicatie en vormgeving en deelnemers voor de administratie en beheer. Veel dank aan mensen schrik voor onze jingle. Het hoorspel was een verhaal van Daniel Charles, bewerkt door Marius Bruin en ingesproken door Jochem Jaling en Marius Bruin. Tot de volgende keer.